Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. I was a pretty rotten student for the, by all accounts. So when I went to, got to college, my first quarter and first semester, I got, what did I get? I got a 2.5, right? And then so my second one, I got a 2.5. And then my third quarter, I actually got a 3.0. And I'm like, you know what? I think if I try, I could do whatever I want. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. I've been gone for a week on vacation exploring New England. I think we went to Vermont, Rhode Island. Had a great time, but I will say last week was the first week in a long time that I haven't released two episodes. So please forgive, but I can promise you we're back and ready to finish out the year. My guest today is Dr. Mike Matten, who has four sons that all wrestle, uh, two of which wrestle at the University of Michigan, Drew and Cole. They have quite the dynasty going on out in Delta, Ohio, the Matten family does. But this interview is actually about Mike's career and how he got... From being a one-time state champ who didn't think he was smart enough to be a doctor to now being the medical director at Toledo Hospital. Really inspiring story. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to it, fan of the week goes to D. Mays 2001. He left a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app saying, love this podcast. (laughs) So D. Mays, thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. And for all those who are listening, please leave a rating if you're listening on Apple Podcast. And that's it. Let's give it up for Dr. Mike Matten. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Dr. Matten. Dr. Mike Matten, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Ryan? Doing great. Thank you for taking the time. I know you. Uh, we've had some conversations and emails offline, but you're on the front lines of this thing. Before we get into wrestling and, and your boys and your background, um, why don't you just let everyone know what your, uh, what your day job is and, um, yeah. kind of how you're, you're experiencing this whole thing. Sure. Um, I'm an emergency room physician. Uh, I'm the medical director at Toledo hospital emergency department. Uh, it's a 95,000 by an ER, a level one trauma center in uh, Toledo, Ohio. And so I work in the ER half time, uh, clinically and half time administratively. How much have you seen a change just since this corona outbreak has happened in the past six weeks? Have you seen a lot of uptick? Yeah, it was uh, it's been a drastic change in the emergency department in the hospital overall. You know, um, uh, the emergency department volume, which is would surprise most people, is actually down significantly. It's down over fifty percent overall. Um, but the and that is when the stay at home order started going into effect, the, the emergency department volume went down. And then we started gradually seeing more and more patients uh, present with uh, symptoms that were consistent with corona, and it's definitely been ramping up uh, daily unfortunately you're still seeing an uptick in corona page uh corona cases yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah they think we're going to peak in uh this area of anywhere from uh, next week uh to the next couple weeks uh is when they're anticipating us peaking in northwest ohio and this is a dumb question but what's to prevent this from coming back next winter assuming we get through it this summer here um, I fully anticipate it to be around a while, you know, until uh, enough people get uh, immunity to it, uh, mm. it will be around. So yeah, I, I think that's a very real question. 
man, it's like, whew. and this whole conversation will not be all about this, but it's just the, the state of the world right now. And, you know, I'm enjoying some time at home because I'm, I'm an outside technology sales rep, so I, I can work remote and I don't know anyone who's lost a job or anyone who's been sick. So we got it good. But, um, you know, it's just, it's just kind of crazy to think about when's the next time we're going to be able to go out to eat and not feel weird about it, you know? No, exactly. I was watching uh, some shows on Netflix at home and, and you kind of see you're, you're like, oh, they're not social distancing. Right. And you know, you're know, you judging it like you are now. So, uh, yeah, it, that's a big unknown. Right. I can't wait to go out and hang out with my friends and, you know, go to a wrestling tournament or go hang out and just do what I want to do um, rather than always worried about being by yourself or only with the, the ones you live with. Right. Well, and. The reason you're here is that wrestling has played such a vital role in your life, and I can't wait to get into it. And I think it's just so interesting how you initially did not want to go pre-med because of some um, self-imposed beliefs, I guess is the best way to put it, but you persevered on through. But before we get get to that, let's just start at the origin story. You were a 103-pound state champ for Delta back in, uh, I saw one report that said 89, I thought it was 90, but... (laughs) <laughs> 89. I won in my junior year and took third my senior year. So yeah, I, I won it in 89. Okay. So take us back to the origin story. How did you get involved and, and why did it hook you? Yeah, my, well, as a, a common theme, my, my dad was into wrestling. He wrestled in high school, um, uh, self-admitted, not very good, but enjoyed it. And then uh, kind of got me involved at a young age. And uh, our high school really wasn't, we never had a a good team. We had one state placer, I think, before 1988 ever. And uh, then gradually uh, had a group of kids that kind of my age that got into it. And uh, we had, and that's kind of how it started. So I got hooked at a young age and was all in, so to speak. And uh, um, that culminated with a high school uh, team and individual title, I think my junior year. I was never on teams that were decent enough to win, but I I can imagine winning a team title. That's got to be pretty cool. No, that's great. Uh, you know, kids don't realize how fun that is. And it's, uh, you know, obviously wrestling is an individual sport, but to win it as a team is, is something truly special and something that you can share, um, with your teammates the rest of your life. So it's, it's much more fun to have a good team than just be good at an individual level. And how does Ohio decide the team state title duels or tournament? Um, most people would say that the tournament would be the, the primary one. Uh, they about, I don't know, I'd say 15 years ago, they, the coaches association started putting on a, uh, a team, a dual state title. And then, um, then officially the state took it over. Um, and so they have, they, they issue two state titles a, a year per division. So there's three divisions. So there's the individual state title and, and in the, where they can keep team points as well as the dual state title. So, but I think most people would rather win the individual one. It feels like that's the most, more prestigious one. It seems that way. It's funny in Illinois, I grew up in Illinois and I live in Chicago now, but we only have the the team dual champion. We don't even keep score at the individual tournament. It's one of the only places I know that does that. But yeah, I, I always just wonder how different states do it because this year, as there is every season, there's always a discussion of what should decide the national team title, the individual tournament or the dual tournament. So always fun to see what other states are doing. Exactly. So was Alan Freed already through the system by the time you were there? No. So I graduated in 90 and Alan graduated, I believe in 88. Right. So he, uh, yeah, everybody, Alan Freed was like the first, uh, well, the first guy that I knew that was a legend. Right. And he's only a few years older than me, but everybody knew Alan Freed. He was, he was the man unbeatable. We thought so <laughs> from Ohio, from Ohio yeah, no one thought that he was, anyone was better than him. I love Alan Freed and I love hearing stories about him. And to your point, he was like the first of the first of that that era i guess where it's like this is the best high school wrestler ever then they said it was cola and then they said it was damian han but you know uh i've heard of stories about alan freed just because I'm, I'm a big hawkeye fan and obviously he had some battles with brands and once i had a chance to sit down with alan it was just unreal how uh how cool he is and how open he is about all of the uh the rivalries and you know some of the stuff that was going on at oki state at the time but you know just from what you can remember was he just freaking lights out even back then 
he was unbelievable. Yeah, everybody wanted to wrestle like him. Everyone wanted to be like him. It was it's weird how he had like a aura about him. And uh, I, you know, fast forward, you know, twenty some years, and I saw him back in the area coaching at the youth level, and I was like, man, that's Alan Freed, you know. And so it brought back all those all those memories of like uh, everybody knew him. And so uh, I remember he bumped up, I think, two weight classes. I he lost to what was it, Billman? Um, I think in a duel with uh, Northampton or Easton or one of those went back in the day. So, and he lost and we were like, no way, how could he lose? So <laughs> there's yeah. that great video of him taking down John Smith at the 88 trials. And the announcer is like, I didn't know who he was, but he's this Ohio sports legend. Um, if you listen to it on YouTube, you, I'm sure you would know him right away since you're an Ohio guy, but um, it was just, Bob what is it? Probably Bob Prusay. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Oh my God, that guy's such a character. He's he's. I yeah. can listen to him for hours. Is he still with us? Yeah, yeah, he's with us. He used to do the uh, Brakeman report, or, or Bob, Bob, Bob Brian Brakeman, maybe it was instead of Prusa. So I don't know. It was one of those two. So, okay. um, but yeah. So it's just uh, such a coincidence. We're talking today because I know you're big in the Ohio scene, and we're going to get to it. But um, I didn't realize that when the Walsh Jesuit team came around in the '90s, that they were kind of like the bad boys of Ohio wrestling. And this is probably when you were away in med school, so maybe you don't remember it as much, but um, I didn't realize that Walsh Jesuit and St. Ed's had this bitter rivalry and that it it was like kind of like the Catholics versus convicts type of thing. Um, were you around during that time? Were you in med school and not really well, into it? No, I was, I was all, I was around actually. And when I was in undergrad, I, after my third year, I actually coached all throughout um, the rest of my undergrad as well as a med school and residency. So I was an assistant high school coach. So I was right, I was right there uh, for all those watching uh, Walsh and, and St. Ed's battle. They had some amazing teams. <laughs> what was it with the Walsh teams that everyone says gave them the bad boy look and feel? Or was that just well, internet stuff? Well, now? Bill Barger was a great coach, right? But he kind of was—he uh, was kind of a uh, a little bit rougher character, you know, and was loud and stuff. And and the kind of the team took on that personality, and uh, they were phenomenal uh, wrestlers, uh, no doubt. They were so good, Malika and Heskett and Marchetti and Nup, and I mean, there was—you could just go on and on. Um, they produced some amazing talent. I'm trying to get a a, a video of Sony Marchetti wrestling because. Everybody I talked to who had any encounter with him says he was unbelievable as well. I mean, there's, there's, that's the great thing about wrestling. Everyone says that guy's awesome, but uh, he's another one where you're like, that guy was just a man child when he, in yeah. his day. For a funny story, so um, my Sonny was a freshman, and uh, we had a good kid who was like who was a junior, and it was the first tournament of the year. And I knew Sonny was, I mean, I'd seen him in the youth level, and I knew he was lights out. And I told our kid, I said, "Hey, this kid's just a freshman. Go out there. It's first match of the year." And he had who originally went to North Canton Hoover was not at uh, Walsh, and so we wrestled him, and uh, he our kid ended up getting tech like fifteen to one or sixteen one or something like in the second period, and. Uh, and he came off the mat and he said, coach, you were lying to me. That kid's really good. And I said, yeah, yeah. He, he, you, know, you, you, know, you remember his name. He's going to be special. Um, and he was, he was, he was, he was very tough, man. And so Explorable. is that right? Big guy or little oh, guy? Yeah. Little guy, uh, probably about a 30 pounder as a freshman or so. Uh, he was just so like built like a spark plug and just real explosive and just had, uh, just a, just a powerful, powerful kid. And Bill, he's a man when he was a freshman. He went to Lassen Junior College, right? Right. So I just had TJ Williams on this morning. He was at Lassen during that same time, maybe a little bit after, but like Jamil Kelly was there. And I go, people forget about the Juco scene once in a while. Like you, you can't, you can't overlook those guys at all. Oh gosh, no. No, um, not at all. And so this this whole era that we're talking about, we kind of side tangent on. Sorry about that. This is right when you had a really interesting moment in your career and of the email you sent me, I thought about this line for literally about a week. I just couldn't get out of my head that after you got to Toledo, you ended up uh, not wrestling all the way through. You were coaching, like you said, but you quietly switched your major to pre-med and you didn't tell anyone because you were convinced that you weren't smart enough to get in. That is just, so fascinating to me because obviously they were wrong but first of all how did that how did you even get a bug bug up your butt to like do pre-med 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of a weird, you know, my I was never in high school. I just my, I had a little bit of atypical academic background. I graduated high school with a 2.51, to be honest with you. So and the only reason it was a 2.51 is because my parents said I needed a 2.5 to be in sports. So my mom's a nurse and my dad was an atypical student. He went back and became a dentist when I was in junior high. And uh, so I was I was a pretty rotten student for the by all accounts. So when I went to got to college, my first quarter and first semester, I got what did I get? I got a two five, right? And then so my second one, I got a two five, and then my third quarter, I actually got a three zero, and I'm like you know what, I think if I try, I could do whatever I want. And so I had always wanted to be in, go to med school. I just didn't think I had the drive in or just didn't think I could quite get it done. So my sophomore year, I just, uh, I didn't tell my girlfriend, who's not my wife now. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody. I just switched my major to biology and uh, pre-med. And, uh, you know, I, I did well the first semester or quarter. And I I just, I finally told them, and I think I just didn't tell people because, you know, when you don't tell people your goal, then if you don't reach it, you, you, you're not, you didn't really risk much, right? And so I think telling people, you know, talking about it, writing it down, that's, you know, for me is a, is a and I think for most people is a big stepping stone. If you tell somebody it's important, suddenly everybody knows it's important to you. And if, you know, you're putting something on the line. So yeah, I didn't tell anybody. So just did it. So the, the 2.5 in high school, you must have just, were you not trying or were you trying and just kind of told yourself you weren't smart? No, I, I didn't try at all. So I, I just, I literally did as little as I possibly could and uh, definitely not proud of it <laughs> but, uh, looking back, but it, it was what it was. And, uh, you know, once I switched my major, I was all in and I never got less than an A after I switched my major again. So isn't that amazing what the human body's capable of in the human mind? Like if you tell yourself something, you create a new standard for yourself and that's what you did. Yeah. Yep. God, I just went all in. That's awesome. And so once you were uh, once you were kind of all in, you were pre-med and you were applying for med school, did those first couple of semesters of poor GPA hinder your chances of getting to a good med school? Yeah. Um, you know, yes. I would say that, you know, I, I like I said, I, when I switched, I never got less than an A, but my overall GPA was like a 3-4. And, um, you know, I took the MCAT and did okay. I took it without physics, uh, which is a big part of it. Uh, but I, I wanted to graduate in four years and, and, I, and I was behind, obviously, because I, I was a year and a half um, in, in, uh, education. So I had to take cram everything in the summer and things like that. So, uh, so yeah, I applied to 30 schools, only got two interviews and, uh, didn't, I got two interviews. I got put on the waiting list at both of them and I got in 10 days before med school started my, uh, is when I, so yeah, so, so 10 days before school started. What were you thinking? Didn't even have a back What were you thinking you were going to do up until, day 10 before, before I, had, med school. No, I, I, I had no, I had no plans. I didn't interview. I didn't apply to grad school. I had no plans. I have, I have no idea why I didn't do anything. Um, I just, I, I guess I just believed I, I somehow would work out and, uh, thankfully it did. Man, that is a, it's just a lot of belief in yourself and just conviction to, to go all in on that. <laughs> or still, or, or stupidity. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, it, it worked out for the best. Wow. And as you're going through this, do you have the, the support of your friends and family or is there some doubters amongst them even? No, my friends and my family uh, were great. My, you know, my girlfriend, which is my wife now, she was awesome. My parents were very supportive. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was, it was no big deal. You know, just uh, they were supportive and, and uh, did whatever I asked them for of them. Business as usual once you were in. Now, you're obviously a, a super high level coach. You wrestled at a high level. How, how difficult was the transition to med school for you? Med school? No, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad actually. Uh, you know, I, it's kind of funny. You talk your podcast, right? Wrestling changed your life. You know, wrestling truly changed my life. And, and I viewed, this may sound a little corny, but I viewed med school like a wrestling match or a goal like, right. And so that was like my state title or, or, or what. And, uh, I just wanted to outwork everybody. And I figured if I outworked everybody, I'm going to be successful. And so I kind of approached it with that same mentality that, uh, each test was a, a match and I needed to win the match and winning the match was getting an A or, or getting an honors or whatever I wanted to get. So I just kind of did that mindset and uh, that seemed to work for me. And uh, it's just put a lot of time in and uh, just hours and hours and hours. And um, 
you know, my wife and I, she sacri- we all sacrificed and it, uh, yeah. Worked out in the end for sure. I mean, yeah. here you are, uh, <laughs> you know, re- leading, uh, I guess, would you say you're leading the ER department? Is that the right way to put it? Well, I don't think I'm leading. I'm one of the, you know, obviously it's, it's just like a wrestling team, right? You have, yeah. you have a whole team of people and the ER is like a wrestling team in the sense that we have to work really close. So I'm, I'm definitely one of the team members that are there and, and being the medical director, you get a little more influence on how things go. Uh, but we have a great group that uh, I'm fortunate enough to work with. I mean, the ER seems like a place where if you're an adrenaline, maybe not an adrenaline junkie, but you know, most wrestlers enjoy uh, adrenaline. I mean, that has to be that environment. I mean, I can't imagine the things you guys see day in and day out in the ER. Yeah, for the most part, it's it's the routine, right? But you definitely never know what's going to come in. And it, it definitely, uh, you know, the things that I've seen over the last 20 years, uh, it's, you know, again, it, it, anything can come in and every, anything does come in. <laughs> uh, now, did you stay coaching throughout your med school and residency? I did. I did. I stayed coaching. And then um, my first year out, um, I had a real job and my wife's like, okay, listen, you, you, you have to stop. You, you have boys now and you need, you can coach them, but you need to, you need to get a real job and, and get working and, and paying back your student loans. So, so yeah, I, I coached through uh, uh, med school, all med school and all the residency. I don't know how you did that because people I talked to, my, my girlfriend is a, in, she's about to graduate Northwestern with her physician assistant degree. And she, that's only a two-year program, but I mean, I've, I've started to bump elbows with a couple of her friends who are in medical school and like the, their workload just seems ridiculous. And when they're on residency, they're going sometimes days without sleeping. So I don't know how the heck you kept coaching all the way through that. Yeah, you know, at the time, I didn't really think much of it. I just loved it so much, right? And I had a great, the, the head coach was, you know, my, my coach in high school and was a big mentor of mine. And uh, so Robin Rayfield. And so I just enjoyed it so much and loved watching the kids have success. And we had some great teams. And uh, so it was, it was worth the sacrifice uh, to me and my wife loved it. So she was all in there and watching it. And uh, so it was good. That's amazing that it was so you were still coaching at the same high school you'd wrestle at all those all those years later, yeah. huh? Yeah, and that's where your kids went now, or, or some of them still go. Uh, yes, uh, two graduated from there. My third son Zach's a junior, and then I have a little guy who's a seventh grader in in town, Man. at Delta High School. And so, what's amazing to me is your involvement as a coach is like nothing I've ever seen. <laughs> some of these camps you hold are, are just massive. So, you know, what are the ones I'm most interested in? is this hammer camp that you host. When you say you have it at your house, do you literally have a big facility with multiple mats or how does that work? No, and, and what is the no. camp? Right. So it's kind of, so just a little background on that hammer camp, it's turned out to be just an amazing experience. So we were out at Fargo and was talking with Jared Lawrence from Pinnacle and John Strip Matter, and then Eric Burnett from Burnett Train and Mike Kolzicki from Wrestling Factory. And we're like, man, we should get together and train for Super 32. And so everyone thought it was a great idea. And so I, and they're like, well, where should we have it? And so I was like, well, I'm kind of in the middle, you know, we, I can hold it at, at our high school. So that's kind of how it started out. So that Delta hosted it. And then we just at my house, Pinnacle and uh, Young Guns. And then the first year, Askren Wrestling Academy, uh, they came out as well. So they just stay at the house. So they don't because we we don't want it to cost anything. We don't want to make any money off of it. We just want to train with great kids. And so we do it on as cheap as we can. And like I said, I have a saint for a wife who lets all those kids uh, stay at the house here. So, man, just to put it lightly, she's saintly <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of boys coming in and out. But, I mean, like you said, you have four sons. Two are at Michigan now. Uh, one's in high school. One's in middle school. Multiple state titles um, throughout the family. Drew won three. Cole won one. Zach has won one and was a junior this year. And obviously his state got canceled and your youngest is in middle school. So your boys have had a tremendous level of success. If you think back to how you started with them and how you're doing it now, would you say you were their coach or did you hire other people to be their coach throughout the process? 
Um, great question. I would say that a little bit of both. I would say at the youth level, um, I ran the youth program in Delta, which is, again, it's a town of 3,000. It's a, uh, you know, we had like 100 kids in the program. So we would have our community-based program that they would always go to. And then I would, you know, for me, I always wanted to put my kids around people that, A, were great off the mat and great on the mat, um, you know, equally as important. So I always tried to find one or two or three people that I really enjoyed getting them around. And so that's kind of what I did. So I coached them during the week and then uh, maybe one day a week or in the summer, um, if we, you know, during, they do go to camps at other places and, and whether it be Pinnacle or they go to Young Guns or Burnett trained uh, locally, they have a place in Foxfire. So I would just have a small group of people that we would farm them out. Got it. And it's always interesting to hear that. I mean, there's no one, one way to do it, but it, I had Yanni on last week and that, I was thinking about that for a while because him and his dad are very unique in how close they are and how intertwined they are. Um, but then you think back to some of the guys in your generation, I don't think that was the case as much. And what I mean by that is like, like Doug Schwag, for example, his parents didn't really weren't involved at all. And like Mark Ironside, they weren't really involved, but you look at the top guys. Now the Spencer Lee's, the Dayton fix, the Yanni's, all of them had like these, dads that were not only involved but like personal trainers to these to these kids and it's just you think is it possible to succeed in a world without that are there any top level guys that aren't doing that now um then you and your kids seem to be somewhere in the middle i mean you're definitely involved in in helping them but um yeah i don't don't know what do you what do you think about that yeah, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat, right? You know, for, for me, I just wanted to get open as many doors as I could for my children. And if they wanted to walk through it, then, um, then they did. Right. And so, uh, for me, and I had a, you know, like my my wife was super supportive at a, at a, when they were young, which is what's necessary. I, I think you need a mom that's super supportive of it because um, it's a hard sport, right? And so then once they started getting about to a level that I thought that they could compete, you know, a country across the country, that's when I made sure I started getting them around coaches that could help take them to the next level because I'm far from an elite coach. I just, uh, you know, like I said, I just I I could I know what what I think works for my boys and what works for kids at to an X level. And then, um, I think it's important to go get people that are, um, better and just to, you know, have, have proven success. And, and like I said, that are great off the mat as well. And so that's why I tried to surround them with it, with that. And, uh, it seems to work out pretty well for my boys. Well, it's no surprise you chose Michigan because Sean Bormay, one of the, uh, I won't say icons, I guess of Illinois. I mean, that what, what he did with team overtime back in the heyday was unbelievable. And, he was a legend to everyone in Illinois, especially the Chicago area. What went into the decision to go to Michigan? I know it wasn't your decision, but you certainly had some influence. How did that all come about for your kids? It's actually kind of a funny story. So our family grew up huge Buckeye fans, um, huge Buckeye fans. Actually, one of the first camps I ever did I have in my house was I called uh, Tom Ryan and he came and spent the weekend at our house doing a camp for like our kids and like 20 kids in our club. And uh, so grew up huge. And, and it came time when Drew was like, a, I think his freshman year, I was like, man, I need to get him to an RTC. And uh, so I didn't even know Michigan had an RTC. I didn't even know it. So I was going to drive him two hours and 45 minutes down to Columbus twice a week. And I just was like, man, I don't know if I can justify that. And my wife's like, you're nuts. You're not doing that. <laughs> and so I, I go, man, maybe Michigan's got an RTC. And so I, I emailed, I looked online. They did. They had a program. And so for the high school kids. So I signed up, Drew. Drew's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I, I, you know, it's not going to be any good. So we go up there and uh, it was blew us all away. It, you know, I, I loved it because I was so impressed with the coaching staff immediately. I had not met Sean or Josh or Kellen um, before that. And I was just so impressed how they handled the room and how they uh, delivered their message. And it wasn't out of fear and intimidation. It was, you, know, you could tell that they cared about their guys. And, uh, you know, and then Drew loved it because he was drilling every day with Connor Utsi, um, who's, you know, just was just was a two time All-American or was at that time or one time at that time or just finished a second one. And every day, twice well, twice a week, he was wrestling with him. And uh, before you know it, it was uh, they were at leading uh, the, the race for for, uh, you know, they ended up liking Drew. He liked them. I was super excited when he uh, made that choice. And I think it came down to Minnesota 
in Michigan uh, were the final two. So, so what's, what's your connection with Lawrence and Pinnacle in, in Minnesota? Yeah, so it's kind of funny. So Drew was 12 and Cole was 10. And uh, I get a call from a kid named Riley. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm losing my mind. I'm so, going to be embarrassed here. I can't remember. One of the Pinnacle boys. And uh, Drew used to wrestle. And the dad called me and said, hey, uh, they're having a camp up at their cottage. Would you send the boys out? And I'm like, uh, okay. So I, I didn't know Jared at all. And I signed, uh, sent him up, set, I put them on an airplane. They were 12 and 10, flew them to Minneapolis by themselves. And someone picked him up and uh, they took him up to the cottage. Uh, and they, it was like 12 kids and they had this like camp, which was like on the water. So they played half the day and wrestled half the day. And then they flew back on their own. And then, so Jared and I just got to know each other after that. And then Brandon. And, and so uh, we just got along great and started hanging out. And, uh, and then when I would do the hammer camp, so I'm fortunate enough to get to see them every year. And obviously out at Fargo and super 32 and all the big events. So yeah, that's kind of, it happened because of a dad uh, inviting them to a camp up at a lake. So, and how crazy are wrestling parents? <laughs> I know, I, I know. I, my wife, uh, yes, again, I, again, she's a saint. She let that happen. So, uh, yeah, 12 and 10, put them on the plane and sent them on their way. So, so I got to know. So, was is your wife, you and your wife, are you high school sweethearts? Or did you meet after high school? Well, like I said, wrestling can't, you know, changed my life. So I was at a wrestling tournament. Uh, we had known each other a little bit and I was at a wrestling tournament in college and she was in high school and she went to the wrestling tournament to, to meet, to talk to some other guy. And that night I, I, I talked to her a little bit there and that night she called me up and asked me out. And uh, that was back in, you know, so I was a freshman in college and she was in high school at a neighboring school and uh, we got together and pretty much that was the rest of it. So we got married in 96. So at least she, uh, she was around a wrestling event. So she knew this was going to be part of your life the whole time going through. I was very open with her. You know, when we first started dating, you know, it was obviously pretty obvious that it was important to me, but I, you know, we had talks and I told her, you know, a few things I said, you know, just so you know, a couple things. Number one is, you know, my family's always most important to me. You know, number two, uh, my, my work will be important to me. And number three, wrestling is very important to me. And I need to know where you're, where you feel about that. And she, didn't hesitate. She loved it. And, you know, she was, when I was coaching, she got to love all those kids that we coached. Um, and then, um, you know, so, yeah, so we were actually, when we were engaged, we were sitting in the, we were sitting in the high school state uh, tournament watching the finals and, uh, they were honoring the, uh, families of wrestling in Ohio. So the Slaters, the Jordans, you know, the Milkoviches, the, the Sabados. And I leaned, I turned over to her and I said, Hey, all I want out of you is four boys. You give me four boys. I'll give you anything you want. And so, you know, <laughs> years and I get four boys. So she's still waiting for that car. I promised her. So maybe someday. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, it's, it's a sport unlike any other. I mean, but then when you think where when you think that some of the sacrifices are unique to wrestling, I know some families who their daughters were elite soccer players. Actually, a lot of wrestlers I used to coach where they had sisters, they were elite soccer players. And that is a whole other thing where they'll completely skip high school altogether to do soccer. I mean, so we think wrestling is a lot of work and it is, but some of the travel schedules of these other sports is a whole other level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think if you want to be elite in anything, you know, it, it takes a lot of time and energy and passion and, and uh, sacrifice out of a lot of people, obviously the kids involved, but the, the parents often sacrifice uh, a lot as well. Now, just a couple questions for you here as we, as we kind of start to think about bigger picture stuff than wrestling. And so obviously you've had tremendous success in life, um, in the sport and out of the sport. I mean, Anyone would be lucky to be a state champion. Anyone would be lucky to be a doctor if that's what they wanted to do. So I guess the first question for you is, based on what you've seen of kids going who are elite high school wrestlers and go to college, what's the difference between kids who make it at the collegiate level and kids who don't make it? And I ask because my homeland, Illinois, I just got to think that we're capable of producing more D1 All-Americans than we are based on Fargo results. So I'm asking kind of selfishly. <laughs> Yeah, I let me, uh, you know, I thought a lot about that. And, you know, I'll to give you my take on it. So, and, uh, and 
so I think kids, when they first grow up, when they first start wrestling, they're extrinsically motivated, meaning they do it because they like getting a trophy. They do it because they like getting dipping dots. They do it because mom and dad said to do it, right? They work out because they say mom and dad said to do it. They, they go to practice and they work hard because mom and dad say you better work hard. And, and eventually, you know, the kids that, that uh, have success in college, I think are the kids that can turn in, you know, become from extrinsic motivation, go to intrinsically motivated. And so, um, you know, so for me, it was always, you know, because this sport is hard, right? It's so hard, especially at college. And to be elite at college, you have to go through some real painful times and you have to go through, uh, you know, a lot tougher uh, life than, than most people in college have to go through. And so you better have a true passion. You better be very intrinsically motivated to be amazing. And so for me, I think the kids that struggle are the kids that maybe had the the parents that were a little overbearing and and there was still that extrinsic motivation meaning you know hey johnny are you doing what practice are you doing tonight hey johnny we're doing this tonight you're not eating you know drinking pop you're not doing this and everything was very structured for them whereas you know at least for me i always wanted to transition my kids once it seemed appropriate that it had to become their goals their passion their desire to be great. And so I think once that transition, the kids that are truly the Yannis of the world and the kids that are able to have success in college are the ones that are intrinsically motivated to be amazing. And uh, the kids that struggle, I think, are the kids that have always been had very structured, very um, extrinsically motivated uh, factors that drive them right? I, I need to do this. My dad's going to make me mad at me. I need to do this. My mom's going to be mad at me. I'm doing it because the, the, my fam, my family thinks I have to do it. Right. And so little long-winded answer, but that's kind of my thoughts on, on, on that subject. Not at all. I mean, and when you talk about that transition with your kids, take for example, Drew, did you, was there a point where you stopped laying out workouts for him if you did that at all? Or like, or was that transition something that happened seamlessly without either of you knowing? No, you know, I, it was a conscious decision and I'm, I was far from perfect. Right. You know, each kid's different. My yeah. second son was a little bit challenging. He wasn't quite sure he loved it as much as, as, uh, Drew did and my third son. Um, and so, uh, for me, I started noticing it. Drew wanted to go do J Rob, the intensive camp. So I sent my boys when they were seventh, going to be seventh graders to get their phone, to get a cell phone. They had to finish J Rob. So they did the 14 day camp yes. and that kind of changed. Yes. So once they finish that, they get a cell phone. So they, uh, so they did that. And then Drew on his own wanted to go back after his, his first year cadet year. He wanted to go back and uh, do the 28 day. And that kind of was a turning point for him uh, to be in- extrinsically motivated or intrinsically motivated. He just kind of started doing more and more stuff. Um, I still gave a framework, but he did it. And like his senior year from October to the state tournament. He, on his own, did 100 pull-ups every day, seven days a week from October to the state tournament finals um, on his own. You know, he did that all on his own and never, I never talked to him about it once. So just an example of just it becoming very important to him and becoming his passion, not nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And what what would you say is a good framework for, it's, it's such a wide-ranging question because there's so many different levels, but you know, once they're, let's say sixth grade, I think is a, a, a turning point where parents say it's okay to specialize and whether or not that's right or wrong is up for debate. But what is the framework you'd recommend um, if you have a kid who does love wrestling? Are, were you doing two-a-days with them in middle school, two-a-days with them in high school? Um, well, yeah. Great question. So when I, when they were younger, I, I stopped when I when I, so when we would do the state tournament, the little kids state tournament, and then they would do like one a dual meet tournament because I always thought dual meets were real fun for kids, yeah. and then that would be it. So I would stop them wrestling, and my kids would be done wrestling in April, and they wouldn't wrestle again until November. No now, practice, do camp, nothing. They may do camps. Uh, they wouldn't do a break, any regular practices, but they would do uh, some camps in this. You know, I usually had four or five camps that I would have them go to. But, um, you know, a few couple day thing, but there wouldn't be any competition. Um, I think competition really is the hard part for kids. And so then when, when that turned for me was when they could be like cadets. Okay. So that last schoolboy year, right, the year before they've turned into uh, cadets is when I introduced freestyle to the boys. And that was kind of when they 
could, and then depending on whether they liked it or didn't, my second son, he loved baseball. So he never did freestyle, um, you know, but uh, my oldest in my third one and my fourth one, they're just getting at the, well, my fourth one is just getting at the age where I'm going to introduce it this year um, for him. So I was kind of the, uh, you know, get them good locally. Once they can do locally, go to state. Once they can do good at state, go to regional. Once they can do good at regional, go to national type events and then kind of avoid the other stuff. And so. I like that though. So up until the last year of schoolboy, no, no weekly practices, no tournaments outside of April. Okay. No, no, no tournaments, no weekly practices, nothing structured. Now we may do, uh, one year we we hired a gymnast to come in and, and during the summer they did one day a week they would just do tumbling and stuff and then or one day they would do uh one day they do like cross training type stuff kids love that though they eat that stuff up they're having a blast with it and jump rope and, and and you know they'd have 15 kids or 20 kids out there doing that stuff so but yeah no no structured practice at all in the summer except you know just some camps what i was going to ask you about uh like a weight regime or a body weight you know, workout routine or any type of anything, anything like that before high school? Um, yeah, in eighth grade, I, I started introducing the boys, um, to lifting, um, just more about form and, uh, still do a lot of, you know, basically push ups, sit ups, those kind of things, box jumps and just kind of things with their body weight and such. Um, and then when they get in eighth grade, then I start, uh, letting them do not much weight at all, but just getting used to it. So obviously now they have older bo- brothers, they can teach them how to do it. And then they just, they have their own modified weight routine and then once they get in high school they just share their routines gotcha and last last question for you around the development because i'm so curious to pick your brain on this what about weight cutting um obviously we all hate it but middle school are you allowing any weight cutting whatsoever like that eighth grade year yeah and uh you know but it's all relative. Right. And so, I mean, I think that there's extremes and everything. So for me, it was um, like for a big tournament, like, so for the state tournament or for maybe like super 32, if they wanted to cut some weight now by cutting weight, they were eating three meals a day. Still, Mm -hmm. they were just cutting out the junk food and usually it'd start two weeks in advance. They cut out the junk food. They cut out all snacks and uh, they need just eat three squares a day and increase their activity amount so if they want to do that that's what they were able to do and how and you know back in your day i'm sure it was just night and day difference right from what it is now (laughs) yeah yes Uh, yes we did it all along right the more sweatshirts the better the hotter the room the better and uh, the less eating the better so it was yeah it was not very smart now the the last thing i wanted to ask you about actually there's there's three quick things the last thing is always how did wrestling change your life so you know that's coming. What is this barn you have at the at the compound here? Do you have a, a full on wrestling room where the where the kids practice? Yeah, so we have a. Uh, it's the barn. It's like it's seventy two by thirty six, I guess it is. And it, when it first started out, it was the size of one mat. And uh, then as my boys boys grew, I realized one mat wasn't enough, so I knocked out about another third of it. So now it's a, it's a mat and a third um, out there. And so we were able to have it's perfect size for about 25 kids to uh to practice and uh have camps and and such that's actually how i met mike kozicki called him up and he was coaching at michigan and asked him if he'd come out and work with about 20 kids at the bar and he came out once uh once a week for about six about six weeks and uh, worked on some stuff and and uh that's kind of that was the other connection to michigan so man how many guys have you just called over the years to do a workout and next thing you know you're like lifelong friends with them well, I think, right, wrestling is, I mean, again, it changes your lives, right? You, there's so many great people, right? And uh, so many awesome people. When you're younger, you meet all these great people on your teams that you go do. And then, you know, that's why I love like the junior duels or cadet duels or all the dual tournaments and stuff because you, in going out to Fargo, because you meet some just amazingly great people that have high aspirations and high expectations. And that usually translates to not, not only in wrestling, but outside of wrestling, you know, the, they're so successful and they're so driven. Um, and, and so that's who you want to hang out with. You want to hang out with people with like-minded goals and, uh, you want your kids to hang out with people that have like-minded goals. And, uh, that's why, you know, love being at Michigan. Those kids are all, you know, really serious about academics and really serious about wanting to be, um, national champs. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to go back to hanging out with normal people after you're at the Big Ten's all weekend or after you're at the Nationals or Fargo. It's it's kind of weird to say because you almost judge other people for not being extremists, like some of the people you and I know, but it's a hard thing to get adjusted to going back to, to non-wrestling people after a big event like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a high percentage of those people that are, that are elite performers. And uh, so, yes. And then one of your coolest contributions to the sport is this novice state that you started. Um, And I think it's needed everywhere, but give folks a high level overview of it and, and how has it grown over the years? Sure. So again, I ran the youth program in a small town, right? Community-based town. We had a hundred kids in the program. And I was, I always said that about 90% of them are truly novice. Okay. Novice by my definition, which is they do a few tournaments. They're brand new to the sport. And uh, Ohio is very fortunate. We have a very tough uh, youth state tournament, the Ohio OAC, they have their junior high state tournament. You should see some of those brackets. Uh, they're, they're just insane if you look back at them. And so qualifying for them at a young age, right? Remember we talk about extrinsically motivated kids, right? They, I want to do it to make it qualify for state. I want to get on the podium and those kind of things. They need that success at a young age. And that's why that learning curve is so strong. So I had talked about it for by four or five years. And then I finally pulled the trigger nine years ago and just said, let's do it. Let's do a novice state tournament. I kind of copied the Oklahoma had a real successful one, kind of copied some of their stuff. And uh, I made it, you know, three years in le- or less experience, um, could not have ever qualified for the state tournament before. And uh, yeah, that, and so basically those are the main two ones. And then we, those are the criteria could never qualify for state. And uh, you had had wrestled less than three, three, three years or less. And so it, that first year we had like 200 kids and then it's just grown and grown and grown. And this year we had to close it off at, um, a week out with 850, 865 actually is what we had. Um, and we had to close it a week out. That's- so it's, yeah, it was, it's great. I love it. That's so cool. And it's like, I hope there's more tournaments throughout the year that are novice tournaments as well, because it's just people talk about wrestling and it's like a badge of honor to go there and get thumped for three to four years at the at the youth tournaments. I've done it. I know a lot of people have done it, but it takes a certain kind of kid to come through that because it sucks. Like you get just beat on it. It's not even the same league. So like, are you guys starting to see more novice tournaments throughout the, the season in addition to the state tournament? Yeah, you're, yes, you're, you're definitely seeing a lot more of those uh, popping up, and I think they're great. You know, I, I, I never believe that. I never, I would never put my kid in a situation where they're going to just be completely overmatched I, day after day or week after week. I, I like them to lose, and but I want them to be able to be competitive. I think that there's, there's a value in losing. Uh, there's, there's very little value in losing getting pounded week after week after week. Um, that mm-hmm. just, I'm like, I, I just doesn't make sense to me. So I always want to put kids where they need to be, whether that's at their local novice level or the national level um, to get challenged. Yeah, that's couldn't agree more. And it's, it's awesome to hear that you're doing that in, in such a powerhouse state as Ohio. I mean, you think about a lot of martial arts have that belt system and you could be a white belt national champion jiu jitsu. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're at the level of a brown belt, but there's still an opportunity for you. I think that's a cool thing. And hopefully wrestling starts to adopt that. And, you know, the Illinois system, the IKWF is the middle school, the middle school organization, super, super organized, super competitive. And unless you've been doing it since you were like six, it's really tough to, to make those jumps right away. So um, just think that's awesome. Now, do you do it through the OSA or is it a separate federation or a separate standalone event? Well, the OAC is, you know, no, it's, it's separate. It's just, we do it on our own. Um, we do it, we're affiliated, meaning we work really close with the OAC. They're great people. We, you know, they lend me the mats for, for that. And so we work together very synergistically on that, but, uh, yeah, we're, it's our own separate, uh, unit. Love it. You just went with it and decided to make it happen. Um, yeah, hopefully USA wrestling starts to get behind some of these things. If I don't know if there is a way to do that or, you know, if, if, if there's an issue of kids sandbagging or not, I hope that's not it, but you always, <laughs> I'm sure that's always going to be an issue, but has there been any talk of USA wrestling getting involved with it at some level? 
I would love for other states to get in because I think there's a whole, I mean, there's, I mean, again, I, I don't think our community is different than any other community. I think most kids by definition are novice. And I think that it'd be great if a bunch of other states did that. And then you could have these like regions and nationals. And again, it's, it's like you talked about the marsh, the belt level, you know, doing that. If, if bottom line is if you can win, if you win the novice state in Ohio, you're going to be a darn little good wrestler because it's hard. I mean, it's amazingly, it's amazing how, how tough those little guys are and guys are yeah uh, they do it's pretty impressive so nothing formally that i've heard of but i i sure do wish i've been trying to get jared lawrence to start it up in uh, minnesota so <laughs> i uh, i think it's a great thing and i hope you know i don't i don't know who would be against such a thing so i hope hope we see more of it and i did just want to thank you for your time during during this crazy uh you know, outbreak we're all living through for you to take time for this means a lot and really the last question for you is how did wrestling change your life? And you've already answered it in a, in a number of ways, but if you had to, you know, outside of the relationships that you forged, I mean, how else has the sport changed your life? Or maybe another way is if a parent asked you, why would you let, why would you recommend my kid wrestling? What would you say? Yeah. I, you know, I've, I always say that, you know, obviously all the best things in my life came from wrestling, but, you know, for me, why is that, you know, wrestling teaches you in unique, uh, unique uh, lessons, you know, you can do everything right. You know, you, you can do everything right and work your tail off and do and live the right life and, and, uh, and still not get the success you think you deserve. And so it teaches you to be humble. It teaches you to have desires and it teaches you to, to, you know, go to push yourself out outside your comfort zone. And it also teaches you to, to handle failure because I mean, I don't know anybody that hasn't ever lost. And uh, so the, the ability to not reach your goal, to get back up and then work just as hard, if not harder, um, you know, is why I think it's the best sport out there. And that's why I'm super passionate about, you know, trying to expose as many kids there because I think, you know, kids, we put these self-imposed limitations on what we can be and where we can be, whether it's wrestling, whether it's in life, you know, um, and I, I think it's, it's unnecessary. You know, we can, we may not reach our goal, um, but we can, we can dang sure sh uh, shoot for the stars and try to get to our goal. And the worst thing that happens is you don't get it, but you're probably higher than you were, you, where you would have been if you didn't try. So that, that's kind of what I tell parents, you know, think bigger picture. It's a marathon, not a sprint in the life the lessons they learn it's going to be changed it's, it's going to change their life at the core level and you hit it on the head with the handling failure i mean if the worst thing that's ever happened to you in life is that you didn't win the state tournament you've had a pretty dang good life but everyone knows that's not the reality right i mean sometime in your mid-20s right. maybe you don't get the job you want maybe you lose a girlfriend maybe even it's not in your 20s maybe it's your 30s and you you lose a parent like something's going to happen that's a real travesty in life and the training you've gone through through wrestling indirectly should help you cope with that in some way. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get knocked to your core um, eventually. And, you know, the ability to not just turn, you know, uh, fold and, and call it quits and just stand up and, you know, and be not afraid to, to say to say what you want and go after it and, and, uh, and get it because, you know, it's, it, you know, you can outwork a lot of people. It's pretty easy to, most people aren't wired the way wrestlers are wired. And if they're willing to put the time and energy into whatever their, um, goal is, they, they, they can get it done. Yeah. You can get really far just on that alone. You're exactly right. Correct. Well, sir, it's been an honor. I greatly appreciate the time. Wish you and your family, uh, stay safe, stay healthy. And I hope to meet at one of these tournaments here once things get back to normal. Yeah, well, maybe you can come out and come out to Hammer Camp, check it out. I'd and, love uh, it, man. I'd love it. That'd yeah, be a, a hotbed of interviews. <laughs> yeah, that, it, yeah, it's it's Zeb Miller comes out and uh, covers that, and he he uh, interviews a ton of good kids there. So it's a it's a fun it's a fun weekend. I would love to come out. All right, great. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.